Food is fuel for your body, your mind, and definitely your sport. But let's face it, nutrition is confusing and the expectations on girls and women to be thin and have a six pack are exhausting. If you've ever been frustrated with your body, confused about nutrition, obsessed with eating healthy or guilty when you don't, underate, overate, or overtrained and overwhelmed with all the pressure, then this podcast is for you. Nutrition can be easy. You can take control of it, but it might start with letting go of control by asking for help and making a change. I'm Lindsay Elizabeth Cortez, sports dietitian and owner of Rise Up Nutrition, where I empower female athletes to overcome nutrition concerns and perform at their highest level, to stop being confused by all the mixed or harmful messages, and finally have confidence in your body as a fierce, fit, and fueled female athlete. Today's episode is thanks to our Patreon members and our affiliates and partners. Head to patreon.com slash female athlete nutrition to join our membership or donate to the podcast and stay tuned to hear about some amazing deals and discounts from our partners, including Prevenix, Inside Tracker, Orgain, Practice Better, and Jen and Carrie. But for now, we're getting right to the show. Enjoy. Welcome back to another episode. This is Lindsay Elizabeth Cortez, your host of the podcast, registered dietitian and owner of Rise Up Nutrition. I'm here today with another dietitian, Emily Barnhart. She's a sports dietitian and carbohydrate enthusiast. Yes, don't we love those? (laughs) In her practice, the Injury RD, Emily aims to bring a compassionate nutrition voice to the sports medicine table. She helps injured athletes create simple, stress-free nutrition habits, and more importantly, find kindness for their body. In addition to the Injury RD, Emily has also worked with collegiate and professional sports and currently consults with USA Volleyball. She can be found at the at injury underscore RD on Instagram and TikTok. And yeah, Emily, super excited to chat with you today. We have so many similarities, but I'm so excited to you know hear more about what you bring to the table as a sports dietitian. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Lindsay. Mm-hmm. So um, let's just start with your background as, you know, becoming a dietitian, your background in sports, and just tell us a little bit about your journey that led you to this career field. Yeah. Well, I grew up in gymnastics, which I believe you did too, right? That that yes. gymnastics to track to sports dietitian pipeline is very strong. I'm one of those also. Originally, I actually went to undergraduate for strength and conditioning. And then long story short, I did a football internship and realized I am not the right female to break into this world. But during that time, again, kind of long story short, I discovered the world of sports nutrition and thought, holy moly, if my 12-year-old self, my 16-year-old self, my 19-year-old self had this information and had this type of access, my experience would have been drastically difference. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's why I do what I do because I think that's why a lot of us do what we do is we want other people to have different experiences than we had ourselves. Yeah. Hopefully a better one, something maybe learning from our mistakes. We can't prevent all the mistakes. We have yeah. to make our own mistakes in this world, but certainly it's like the the power of knowledge and being guided or taught the right way is something you didn't have regarding nutrition. And so being able to provide that to other young athletes is important. 
Right, right. And just the fact that more and more enough of us are talking about this kind of stuff now, talking about how athletes need to eat and need to fuel and really changing the narrative about fueling and body image and what it means to be an athlete and feed yourself like an athlete, I think is is great. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's interesting how you said with the strength and conditioning and the football team, you're like, ah, that's not for me. But <laughs> I, there's no shame in that, right? Because it's you, you got to make sure that the career field you're going into truly is a fit for you. There's yeah. other women that can do that job. And for you, it wasn't the right fit, but you're still in the sports world. You're still in the performance world. You still work with all types of athletes, including, you know, football players. And, and so I'm sure that experience gave you a lot of insights and life lessons and, you know, tough skin to do what you do now. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, first and foremost, yes, I do know women that are, I don't know if I can swear on here, but badass strength coaches. And they are amazing at what they do. And I'm so grateful that they are in that space. And I'm grateful that I had that experience because I feel like it helps me connect with those strength coaches now that I'm working with. Yeah. Because I don't know if you notice this as well, but I feel like strength coaches typically have a narrative around body composition and food that's very like, Mm -hmm. do this. And if you can't do it, then I don't know what to tell you. You don't want it bad enough. And a lot of us dietitians are like, yeah, do this and this is what you got to do. And it doesn't have to be so black and white. There's some wiggle room and you can enjoy it. And, you know, we don't have to hit an exact number on a scale that's actually not ideal. We need a range and all of that kind of stuff. So I know that other voice and I've been in the room with that other voice a lot. And I'm, I feel it really helps me bring the other side of it to the table. Balance. Yeah. I'm so grateful for that experience. Yeah, I think you're right. And of course, we're making some like stereotypes and generalizations. So it's not for everybody, but I've definitely experienced that as well. The strength coaches are super data driven and, you know, things like weight to strength ratio, weight to power ratio, you know, or things that they just love. And I understand why they love it. Like I love data too. Like I get it. But, and then there's also, there's a lot of when it comes to high school or collegiate programs that just don't have access to a dietitian. And so I think that nutrition role then falls on the strength coaches, which honestly, it's unfair to them. They know a lot about nutrition for sure, but it's honestly, it it takes away from them focusing on their job. And that's where it's such a benefit to have a truly qualified sports dietitian to work alongside a strength coach. So the strength coach can do their job and you can handle the nutrition, you know, and, but for many, many years, the strength coaches, it's, they've had I don't know that they've had to take that on, but they do take on the nutrition and it's, yeah, certainly created some problems with that, you know, intensity, the focus on numbers, maybe the focus on weight. Yes. Well, that's also the the quickest thing to focus on, right? And thank you for wording that with so much more nuance than the stereotype that I originally worded it with. I think, you know, you're right. They're already typically doing the job of two to three people. And now their boss is asking them to take on nutrition. Of course, they're going to say like, hey, I just need you to do this and get it done. Because they don't have time. Just eat X amount of macros. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. So yeah, I think, you know, both you and I have worked in the collegiate setting. And it's, it's weird because it's like you show up and you're like, no, I want to take this away from you. Not because like, no, you've been doing a, a great job. Right. I'm proud of you for doing what you can, but like, you don't have to do this anymore. Strength coach, like, let me take it away. Right. Right. Like you said, they're, they're, the majority of strength coaches I know are so knowledgeable 
with the nutrition and, and metabolism piece. Yeah. And I just, I'm like, I'm not taking your job. I want to help you. I want to support you. <laughs> what you're doing in the weight room from the inside out. Right. Yeah. And we do, but we do have a different approach. And I think there's between us as dietitians having, you know, more of that counseling skill, like in our training, we do classes and coursework in nutrition counseling and, you know, athletes to nutrition just gets, it just gets emotional. Mm. It just gets deeper. It gets personal. And I'm not saying that sports and strength training doesn't, but it's a little strength training can be a little more black and white and nutrition just it's not so easy yeah. to hit your macros when you're out on a Friday night at the restaurant, you know, with your family trying to celebrate. And so it's just, it's so much more complicated and that's why you do it. Yes. You, you just gifted us the perfect transition into injury nutrition and why I want to be a voice in this world. Because yes. when I was in the professional setting and, you know, the strength coaches and the sports medicine staff were having the nutrition conversations or some of the nutrition conversations, part of it was, you know, they don't have time to take that on. And they were missing that nuance to it. They were missing the emotional part. So I would talk to injured athletes that were telling me they feel like they've lost control of their lives. And food is one of the only things they can control right now. And they're mm -hmm. leaning to some scary habits, right? Or the other end of that, where their world is upside down and they're using food as a coping mechanism because they don't know what else to do. So they feel completely out of control and they're falling into more of the binge restrict cycle and, and things like that. So there's this whole emotional side of an injury recovery and nutrition that I think was not being talked about enough, which is yeah. how the injury RD came to be. Came to be, Yes. So huge. And I, I see that in my practice and, and my clients that I work with as well. Injuries are difficult from the physical standpoint, <laughs> yes, but the emotional standpoint. And we do have as human beings, I guess, a tendency when we feel out of control to try and regain control. And it's just, it's, I always, I always tell people, it's like the easy button to say, well, I'm going to control my nutrition then. Mm -hmm. Well, what we really need to do is like process our emotions <laughs> and create, you know, a great plan for this injury process, or maybe start leaning into our friends and support system more. But we hit the easy button. We just say, well, I'm going to like start a diet. I'm going to, you know, control my nutrition. That can sometimes create that. Honestly, so nutrition is important throughout your injury rehab, which I want to get into with you. But sometimes too much control over your nutrition can actually hurt your recovery process as well. You see that? Yes. Yeah. I think of a phrase that I use a lot is this injury has given your critical voice or maybe your old eating disorder voice a megaphone. And a lot of times what I see is either people that feel that they've already worked through some of these emotions and relationships with food get hurt and they're like drawn right back into all of those old mm -hmm. habits. So that's a huge piece of it. And then, of course, some people have never experienced that. And now they're looking down the barrel at a nine to 12 month rehab or, you know, however long it is. And they're like, well, you know, I only earn my food if I get my run in today. Or, you know, a phrase that I've heard way too often is, oh, I'm not doing anything. So I, I don't deserve food right now. And I just can't explain how far that is from the truth. From the truth. One, you know, just from a philosophical standpoint, you never, ever, ever have to earn your food. 
we deserve food as a basic aspect of life, just like you need clothing and shelter and friendships and love and self-respect mm-hmm. and all of those kinds of things, right? So that's number one. Number two, your body is actively healing itself right now. That takes a lot mm-hmm. of work. And we fuel that work with food. So yeah. you do need to provide that food. You're also, you know, fueling your brain, you're fueling your heartbeat, you're fueling, if you're female, you're fueling your menstrual cycle and your hormones. You're fueling all of these things, even if you do feel like you're a couch potato and you've watched 12 episodes of Netflix today. Right. I think remembering that the food is fuel, not just for our external physical movements, Mm -hmm. but the internal fuel that your body needs. And Pending all injuries need healing, which requires fuel, but pending the type of injury and the duration of it too, you know, and severity of it, that it really can be shocking how much your nutrition needs are. Even though you're thinking, I'm not doing anything, I'm laying on the couch because I got this cast on, well, your body's doing something. Right. And it's doing something very important. Right. I mean, there's even some data and you know, numbers out there of something like a surgery can increase your metabolism by up to 20% because we consider Mm -hmm. it a traumatic injury. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. And if you've just had surgery, you're not, you're not moving, you're not doing anything, but you are automatically just by the nature of how our body responds to those type of things, you know, requiring more fuel than you would need to on a regular day. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Hey fans, I hope you are enjoying this conversation so far and we'll be back to it in just a moment. But first, I want to pause and let you know that this episode is brought to you by the Female Athlete System of Transformation, aka the fast track to overcome disordered eating and use food as fuel to perform at your highest level. The Female Athlete System of Transformation is my unique program and proven systems to guide female athletes to understanding and implementing the proper nutrition for their sport, life, and health. Myself and my team of registered sports dietitians work one-on-one with clients to address their unique needs and counsel them through the nutritional and behavioral changes needed. Many female athletes who resonate with disordered eating, mental guilt around food and body, relative energy deficiency in sport or female athlete triad, amenorrhea, repeat injuries due to negligent nutrition, or frankly, just a lack of knowledge and understanding on their fueling needs have seen incredible success in the fast track. After years of working as a sports RD, I've compiled the most effective ways for female athletes to learn nutrition, be supported, be challenged, and ultimately find their success with fueling as fast as possible. So don't wait another day. Get to your goals faster by joining the Female Athlete System of Transformation. Look in the show notes or head to the website to book a free call and learn more. Okay, now let's get you back to the conversation. Enjoy. Back when I was just starting out my career as a sports dietitian when I worked at the University of Georgia, I had an opportunity to link up with the Gatorade Sports Science Institute to provide like the nutritional intervention. They they were just creating like a really great handout that they wanted for athletic trainers and they wanted a sports dietitian to put their input on like ACL rehab that could be nine months long. Like what are the big nutrition kind of focuses throughout this process? And I really, I love that this is just a one little project that I did in my career, but I just like loved it. And I, I learned so much in doing it, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's, 
honestly, that surgery phase, the nutrition is hugely important for your rehab. And, and so it's something, you know, I think you have to kind of think as an athlete, you have to think about it one step ahead of the game of, Hey, I'm going into surgery a week from now, reach out to your dietitian now. Yes. So you can prepare as opposed to three weeks post-surgery saying, Hmm, what should I do about my nutrition? Now that I'm not going to be playing for the next few weeks, it's like, no, do that before surgery, yes. reach out to your dietitian before. Cause that is so important. Yes. You can't, if you're listening, you can't see me right now, but I'm, you know, raising the roof and dancing. And this is such a yeah. important point because those first two weeks after surgery is kind of when the majority of muscle loss happens. And they're happens. also the most difficult because you feel like crap. You don't want to go to the grocery store. A lot of times you're not hungry, especially depending on what kind of pain medication you're on. You might be constipated, you might be nauseous, and it's really difficult to eat. You're also struggling with all of those emotions that come at the beginning of your injury of just accepting that this is where we are right now. And you might not we, be independent either. Exactly. Like, if, like you might not be able to cook if you've only got one arm to use, if it was a hand arm injury or exactly. you're on crutches, like you might not even be able to get yourself food. Yes. There's a lot of, there's a lot of factors. And it's the most important time. Yes. And like I said, those two weeks, I mean, I need to pull up the study to get this number exactly right. But I think there was one that looked at healthy men after a surgery and they lost 45% mm. of the total muscle they were going to lose throughout that process. 45% of it happened in the first 14 days. First two. Oh, wow. Which Yeah, is, I believe that. No, I've seen statistics very similar to that as well. So, yeah. Yeah. So if That's we can crazy. go in with a plan and you can go in you know, kind of knowing what to expect and who you're going to lean on. And also, if I need to give you a pep talk that it's okay to lean on someone right now, that has to happen a lot of times too. So yes, you said it perfectly. You need to, once you find out you're having surgery, you need to talk to your dietitian and make a plan. Yeah. Make a plan because also, you know, you're the, the injury RD, but you don't always want to be the injury RD, right? Your goal for your clients is to be not injured, right? Yeah, of course, so, of course. <laughs> so the whole point is at some point in their journey working with you, you're going to create a return to play yep. plan. And I think that's where those first two weeks, like if if you do have that major muscle loss during the first two weeks, that affects your return yeah. to play Yeah, and how ready you are because- it's very hard to build muscle throughout an injury rehab. So then your return to play, you're starting out with, you know, a, a different body composition, maybe less muscle, less strength around, you know, never mind the fact that it was recently injured and is still healing. It's like, I don't know, like the, the starting point is just different. Even. Yeah. Yeah. I always say, you know, there's nothing that can speed up your healing process. And if people are trying to sell you something that makes this quote unquote faster, run away from them. But mm -hmm. losing a lot more muscle than you need to can definitely slow things down. Yeah. There you go. Having certain nutrient deficiencies can definitely slow things down. And I don't, like you said, I don't want you to work with me for a long time. <laughs> I want <laughs> you to get back on the field or back on the ice or back to your normal activities, whatever that looks like for you. And I know for a fact that you as an injured athlete don't want to be stuck in this situation longer than you want to be. You want life to start looking normal again. And nutrition yeah. can fuel that. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good way of looking at it. Like you have to give the recovery process the respect in time that it needs, but we certainly, the nutrition that plays a role, we want to make sure that you're, you're not extending it, you know, not taking a longer time to recover. And then I think maybe another piece to add to that is, or you do get back out there and then three months later, you're injured again, right? Like mm-hmm. we want to make sure that when you do get back out there, hopefully we're preventing injuries yes. too. Yes, exactly. So when I work with someone, especially something like an ACL or baseball pitchers have like a Tommy John injury, which is their elbow or an Achilles rupture, things that are nine plus months of a rehab, I like to think of it in three sections. So there's that first immobilization phase when you do kind of feel like a couch potato and we're really worried about attenuating that muscle loss. Then there's that rebuild and regrow and truly that healing phase. And then we transition into that return to play phase where we really, you know, use that time. Because ideally, if you're not at practice, you've got a little bit more time than you're used to having. So we can use that time productively to build our sports nutrition habits and to talk about, you know, injury prevention. And I don't even, I don't even really love the word prevention because things happen, but we can talk about reducing our risk and how nutrition plays a role and, you know, trying to prevent this from happening again. And yeah, all of those are pieces of the puzzle of a full fledged return because I I don't want to see you again. (laughs) We don't want to go through this again. Right, right. So I guess briefly to just touch on your business and your practice, you have programs that, you know, you, you work one-on-one with clients, but they kind of enter into a program. Does it kind of follow that model you were just explaining, that kind of three-step approach? Yeah, exactly. I mean, people find me at different times. So if you're already six months in, there's still obviously a lot to talk about and a lot we can work on. And, you know, nutrition habits are things that we can build and work on no matter what time. But if I can catch you ideally before surgery, we have that pre-surgery chunk of what to focus on then and how to plan for your surgery, then we have those three phases and we work through that. And I really think about that process, no matter what the injury is or how long the injury is, everybody kind of goes through those three steps. Yeah. Like maybe it's not surgery, but it's two weeks in a boot or, you know, and those are, it's still that, okay, this is our reduced training, our immobile, our less mobility phase. Yeah. I understand that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So again, kind of just focusing on your business and practice too, you know, what are maybe some of the most common injuries that you see or that you are maybe willing to see in your (laughs) practice? Yeah, I see a lot of ACLs. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't want to put people in a box here, but ACLs tend to be women and they tend to again, be looking at looking down the barrel at this long recovery process and start wondering, well, how's my body going to change? And mm. how do I feel this? And that critical voice is really loud. So those are the people that tend to find me and are drawn to me. And mm-hmm. I see a lot of ACLs I actually have an ACL group called Feed the Quad because everybody's fear with an ACL is you've got that tiny chicken leg and you got to spend all that time growing it back. So we talk about how to support those phases and do what we can to save your little quad muscle, right? Yeah. So I see a lot of ACLs. I talk to a lot of athletic trainers about general concussion protocols. I think there's some really, oh, yeah. really interesting research about concussions that 
if there is not a dietitian in place, it's actually really pretty simple and easy for someone like the athletic trainer or the strength coach to implement. So I love spreading that message when I can. Yeah. And concussions for football, for soccer. I, I dove into the concussion research when I was working with the military mm. and things like traumatic brain injuries impacted them. And really interesting how nutrition can play a role in concussion recovery, concussion Again, maybe not prevention, but reduced risk of severity of concussion. So that's a really interesting one. And interestingly, too, as you already know, but people who get one concussion are more likely to get another. Right. So I'm going to put in a little pitch here for you of if you're somebody <laughs> prone to concussions, maybe link up with Emily, you know, to learn about how nutrition might be impacting you and your ongoing risk of concussions. Right. Yeah. And I'll just use this time to put out there if you are in you know, the military or you're a soccer player or a cheerleader, we can talk about my history, yes. um, or in one of those sports that's concussion prone, an omega-3 supplement is probably the lowest hanging fruit that has the biggest bang for your buck. There's some really interesting research about continuous omega-3 supplementation, specifically with DHA, which is a type of omega-3 can decrease the severity and the length of your symptoms if you do get a concussion. So not only, you know, can you take it after you've gotten a concussion, but if you are taking it as a preventative measure or as a mm -hmm. risk reducing measure, it can be really helpful. And that's, you know, not a lot of times do we get to talk about nutrition and say, yeah, here's your magic pill. <laughs> I and know. It's not a magic pill, but I it's know. like I said, it's a pretty low hanging fruit if you can consistently take that supplement every day. Yeah. No, I, I know that you and I have very nutrition philosophies that are very much in line, like, you know, saying things like, oh, this is your magic pill. But then it's like something like that is kind of like, yeah, do it. And I find the same thing to be with vitamin D as well. And a lot of different research, you know, like you said, it's the low hanging fruit The there's very little consequences. Yep. You know, toxicity is very rare, although possible still. So be mindful. But like vitamin D and omega-3 for a variety of health conditions and specific the omega-3s with the concussions, like, yeah, this this is a reason that, and the DHA, do you want to be specific about that regarding the concussions? This is right. you know, a relatively simple thing, right. very simple, very low cost. And it's something, you know, vitamin D and DHA are two things that most of us are not getting enough of through food. And again, food. you and I are very similar. We're food first kind mm -hmm. of people. We're habit builders instead of finding the magical pill. But yeah, most of us aren't getting enough of that anyways. No. And like you said, toxicity is, especially for an omega-3, kind of difficult to achieve. Vitamin D a little bit different, but omega-3, there's yeah. some really, really high dose safety studies that have no side effects. Yeah, yeah. That being said, take the, take it the way that the label tells you to take it. Don't start yes, going yes. crazy and experimenting, but you know, just talking, you know, the safety is is there. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so ACLs, we're kind of just going over things you see and work with often. A ACLs, and, and you do see that a lot in women. I actually just, uh, I don't know the order of which my podcast will always release, but I was um, talking about this with my coworker, Jenna, the other dietitian on my team, and how our estrogen kind of actually can mm. increase or have an effect on yeah. injury risk, including tendons, ligaments, and things like ACL. And we covered that in episode 100 with Keith Barr as well. But, anyways, so ACLs, often women with that, concussions, any other like major 
the injuries that you see or get excited to work with? <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to say I get excited to work with, with injuries. You know, obviously that is what I have chosen to dedicate my time to, but you know, I'm never happy when someone comes to me because they're hurt, but yeah, a lot of ACLs, Achilles ruptures, things like stress fractures. And, you know, we both know the massive correlation between underfueling and stress fractures. So that's another population that's kind of drawn to learning more about how nutrition can impact that recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. And, and a lot of those things have those kind of longer recovery timelines too, which is why you've hit on the importance of addressing the psychological side of this and and having a support system. I think that, you know, one of the things you're also very mindful of, we've talked, we've hit on, oh, muscle loss, or that might change body composition. And, you know, this is a big fear Mm. in athletes' minds is how is my body going to change throughout this injury? And, you know, I'm sure you address that with your clients a lot. It's, It's a big fear. It's, it also then might change their nutrition behaviors. Maybe they're thinking, I don't need to eat as much. Bingo. What What are some you know trends or ways that you address this concern over body image, body composition changes and therefore how it affects our own body image? Yeah. So first and foremost, especially with ACLs and, you know, I guess we can take this with a grain of salt because these are the people that are drawn towards working with me. I have never... Mm-hmm had a client that I've done a diet review on that is adequately fueling their ACL rehab. Wow. Some have, some are close, but most of them are scared that they're eating too much. And I have to turn around and tell them, I actually need you to eat more. And some of yeah. that, here, some of them hear that and they go, Woo-hoo! and some of them hear that and they go, oh my gosh, that's terrifying. Right. And, you know, we work through that, but the majority for my personal experience with working with these athletes the majority are not eating enough. And do you think it's because of, of that fear? I think fear? it's because thinking, of that okay, fear. I'm injured. I don't... Okay, yeah. I think it's because of that fear. I think depending, again, where you are in your timeline, your hunger cues and your, yeah. you know, those hormones are just kind of out of whack. So people aren't feeling hungry. And like I said, pain medication has a play on that. I also think the conversations that we have around this play a role in that. I've had a lot of athletes say, you know, my coach told me to cut down on what I'm eating because I'm not moving as much. And their coach had no idea what they were currently doing. So we find out in retrospect, this person already wasn't quite fueling adequately. And then they were given the message to cut back a little bit. So they're putting themselves even further into a deficit. So I think some of it is messaging. I think a lot of it is fear. I think a lot of the fear also is that this is going to be a huge change overnight. And that's something that we really have to put into perspective is, you know, we have, I hate to say it, but we have time on our hands. We have nine and actually most ACLs are more like 12 months of recovery. Yeah, And you're not going to see a huge shift overnight. And if you do start to notice a shift, we can safely start to swing things in a direction you feel more comfortable with without having to be extreme. Yeah. Yes. Your metabolism does not change overnight. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And the amount, like, again, we did talk earlier in this conversation about like muscle loss and stuff, but like as an athlete, you've got so much muscle that needs to be fueled. And just because you've taken a week off, like 
your muscle still needs to be fed and your metabolism hasn't slowed down in a week. So yeah, I think that again, some people might hear this as a fear of, well, will it slow down over the course of nine to 12 months? But it's, well, we've got time to address that. And so nothing drastic needs to happen. We don't need to say I'm injured. Now I need to eat less. It's no, I'm injured. Now I need to focus on fueling to recover. Right. And we're going to continue that focus safely over the next nine to 12 months. Right. I think another important part to include about the body image piece is remembering all the factors that already play a role in that, regardless of your injury. So again, especially with ACL, I've started to notice this pattern at around three to four months where people are really low on themselves. They're, you know, two, three, four months into their recovery Mm -hmm. process after their surgery. And when we start talking about it, we start talking about the things that they used to do to feel, you know, to spike endorphins and, you know, that they enjoy doing. And it was all around their sport and moving and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So when we take that away, yeah, of course, sometimes we're going to feel, again, maybe I shouldn't swear on this, but, you know, we're going to feel kind of shittier, right? Injuries increase your risk of anxiety and depression. And part of that is because you're not moving as much as you're used to. So remember that your brain is kind of playing tricks on you. And then even beyond that, as a female, remember that your cycle plays a role in how you feel about yourself. So, you know, I think there's a phrase that's like, if you hate everyone, go take a nap. And if you think everyone hates you, you have a snack. So (laughs) remember that in your rehab as well. We have to put things in place of dealing with your own mental health and your own voice and Remember that all of these factors are piling up and, Mm -hmm. you know, they're overwhelming sometimes. Mm -hmm. I've never heard that little saying before. (laughs) It was really cute, though. Can you say it one more time? (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm going to mess it up now that I have been asked. I'm pretty sure it goes something like, if you hate everybody else, go take a nap. And if you think everybody hates you, go get a snack. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Either way, sleep and eat, people. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. I love it. it was, that was awesome. It is absolutely true that in psychological research in the female gender, that when we feel negative, just when we're in a negative headspace, doesn't matter what the cause is. You could feel bad because you got in a fight with your best friend, feel bad because you're not getting those, not getting your workout in. You can feel bad because you didn't do so great on a test. When females are in a negative headspace, it gets expressed as poor body image. Mm. (laughs) I wonder what puts you in a negative headspace. (laughs) Finding out that you don't get to play your favorite sport for the next year, right? Yeah. And so it's interesting because even when I work with my clients too, and and they're coming to me with bad body image day, I will, one, I want to address their bad body image. However, I'm also curious to know, is it really bad body image or is it something else? Right. What's the root of this here? Right. Bad body image does exist and we will work on that. However, maybe it's actually that you're feeling upset about your injury. Okay, then this actually isn't a body image issue. Right. This is, uh, yeah, we're upset about our injury issue. And let's work through that. I'm not trying to discredit body image, but like yep. it, it's the root is something else. Yeah. Yeah. Something I do a lot and I'm, I'm sure you do this too is, the why game. So when they say, you know, I just feel X, Y, Z about myself today, I'll say, why? And then they'll kind of go a little bit deeper and then I'll go, huh, 
why? And then they'll go a little bit deeper and I go, huh, why do you think that is? And then they'll go a little bit deeper and like, we'll finally get to the root of the problem where they're just like, well, you know, my coach said this and I'm PO'd about it. Or, you know, I'm feeling really scared that I'm never going to be play, playing again. Or, you know, it gets to this much deeper meaning that's like, huh, yeah, I think that's really understandable that you're feeling that way. And let's talk yeah. about that and why that's showing up as you not wanting to eat today. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Thanks to Inside Tracker, I can get insights and feedback on my blood biomarkers whenever I want to. No more waiting for doctor's visits and them telling you you're fine. Instead, you are in control of your health with Inside Tracker. For 20% off any of their products, blood biomarker testing, DNA kit, inner age, head to insidetracker.com and use the code RISEUP. Take your health into your own hands. Health, wellness, and fitness coaches, listen up. Practice Better is the all-in-one platform that I use to manage my business and my clients. From client scheduling and messaging, hosting sessions, taking notes, creating modules, invoicing, telehealth, building reports, and more, Practice Better is the better way to manage your practice as a nutrition or health or fitness coach. Look no further. Use the link in our show notes and use the code Rise up 20 for 20% off your first four months plus a 14 day free trial. I've been using Practice Better since the inception of my business, Rise Up Nutrition, and I couldn't be happier. Again, the code is Rise Up 20, all caps. Use the link in our show notes for 20% off your first four months and a 14 day free trial. Let's get back to the episode. So, you work with males and females, correct? Um, like you said, maybe a lot of other females do come to you. Do you notice any differences in, in, I guess, just that recovery process between the girls and boys or men and women that you work with and, and how to kind of like approach it? Mm. I don't know. Physiologically, I don't think so. Okay. I think, and you know, again, take this with a grain of salt. Maybe this is just who I'm seeing. But physiologically, no, we all have the same goals of gaining more muscle and, you know, feeling like we can return better than we left, right? And that's yeah. another piece of this too, is that pressure. Mentally and, and food-wise, I think they're very similar, but it shows up in different ways. So a lot of the women that I work with are really nervous about gaining weight and they want to restrict. And a lot of the men that I work with are really nervous about losing weight and they want to be perfect. So it's more of that orthorexia type thing. Mm-hmm. Or that orthorexia turns into a binge restrict cycle. So I think yeah. this is my personal theory. I think disordered eating and eating disorders are just as rampant in men's sports as women's sports. Oh, yeah. But it shows it's up expressed differently. It shows up so much differently. Yeah. And culturally it shows up in a way that people kind of want to see if that makes sense, like coaches and, and strength coaches and, you know, the people around player development want you to see that you care about your nutrition, want you to see that you're dedicated, Mm -hmm. want to see that you are disciplined. Right. And I think there is a portion of athletes where that really crosses a line and, and the people around them either aren't equipped or maybe aren't present enough to notice that it has gone too far. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's what shows up in 
male athletes a lot because I promise you the guys that I have worked, the really high level athletes I've worked with feel just as much pressure yes. about how they look and they get just as much comments about their body mm-hmm. and the conversations about how those comments might not be appropriate or shouldn't be happening. That's not happening culturally. So we have this really great thing in women's sports where we're talking about disordered eating and women's sports. We're talking about red S. We're talking about, you know, your coaches shouldn't weigh you. That's crazy. And, you know, there's there's schools like University of Oregon where they don't do body composition anymore, which is wonderful. Except we're still doing it to the male athletes. Sure. Men's sports. I can go pull up a football roster right now and I can see height, weight and body composition on every single one of them. I know, exactly. It's so screwed up. And I guarantee you 90% of those heights, weights, and body composition are fibbed a little bit. They're not accurate. (laughs) Probably. How do you think that athlete feels about that? Yeah. They feel like they're always working towards something. And part of that is, you know, you're listed as six foot two and you're really six foot. That's not even in your control, right? So I think culturally... Yeah, it's just different with guys. And that's why I feel so, so strong. You've really got me on a soapbox here. That is why I I feel so, so strongly that having women in men's sports, not just as dietitians, but in general, creating space for women in male sports Mm -hmm. is so important. Because when I was in professional sports with men, I had those guys telling me, I don't think I could talk about this with anyone else. Yeah. I like talking to you about this because you're a girl and, you know, it's kind of like talking to my mom or like talking to my sister. And yeah. we can have conversations that they at least didn't feel like they could have with other people. Granted, you yeah. know, there are conversations they could have had with those other guys that they can't have with me. That's why it's so important to have diverse thought around an athlete. Because if they come to me to talk about X, but then they can go to Joey to talk about Y, and then they can go to Sandy to talk about Z, wonderful. That athlete is now fully supported. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for bringing this up. I'm just nodding my head. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. You know, Emily, sometimes I have like a little bit of guilt that I don't work with the male athletes. My my practice does focus just on female athletes right now. And it's so great that I've created that space for them. And, and because I think that there's another dietitian out there that can create the space for the male athletes struggling with this. And you, you are addressing it in your practice with the injured athletes as well. So, so I'm, I'm, Hey, I'm just putting this out there for the universe. Like I need other dietitians <laughs> to step up just like Emily has and, and, you know, address the, the, I think disordered eating in male sports and male athletes. Cause it's so, so needed. So I'm so glad that you're addressing it. And I, I just, I'm in such an agreement with you. I also like, I, mentioned this earlier in the episode, but I had a period of time where I was working with the military, which was an all-male population. And it's so funny because I went right from that job to then this and what I do now. (laughs) Talk about two different worlds. They're two different worlds. And yet they weren't. Mm -hmm. I was like, the issues I was dealing with, with a 35-year-old special operations, you know, man, there are so many parallels to the 16-year-old cross-country runners yeah. in how the pressures that they felt to uphold a certain image yep. and to be have this perfect body composition and to perform at the highest of levels and to control their nutrition in order to do so. Sure, maybe the 16-year-old girl is more concerned about weighing less, whereas the 35-year-old special ops guy wanted to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and would do anything to get there. But, and like, gosh, it was like, it was the psychology behind it 
Yep. And the behaviors around food, exactly the same. Right. Which I sometimes I could joke with my the men that I worked with. I could sometimes joke with them and be like, you're acting like you're a 16 year old girl right now. And like that would kind of kick them into gear <laughs> a little bit. And on the flip side with some of my 16 year old girls, I can kind of motivate them to be like, hey, like you don't want to be as big and bad and tough as like this guy. Like yeah. <laughs> you got to overcome this. <laughs> I will even go a step further and saying this is also why it's so important to have dietitians within teams full time because yeah i think women again maybe we're stereotyping a little bit here but i think especially over the internet it's a little bit easier for women to get vulnerable about this stuff and seek help about yeah. it versus those same conversations i was having with guys it's because i ate lunch with them every day we talked about for probably the first three to four months when they were getting to know me, we didn't talk about nutrition at all. We talked about life. I helped them figure out what to get their girlfriends for Christmas. We, you know, we talked about all sorts of stuff where they, you know, spent the time to realize like, yeah, we can shoot the shit with her. And it's like, she shares some stuff. So I'm going to share some stuff. And you have to build that relationship. And that is incredibly hard to do when you're only in the room once a week or when you're, 100% virtual with someone. And again, you know, I run a business that's 100% virtual, but having been in both sides, I think that is just another reason, you know, yes, we need women in men's sports. We need men in women's sports too. I'm sure it goes both ways. That's not my experience to talk about, but I'm so. sure it goes both ways. Yeah. yeah. And we need people in there full time. Different sexes and genders have bring different benefits, right? right. I think that's exactly. the, at the end of the day, like we need to learn from Everybody. Exactly. And, you know, we can even go beyond sex and gender and say, this is why you need people of different cultural backgrounds and different life experiences at the table because we all bring a different voice and you never know how that voice is going to change someone's life and whose voice is going to change someone's life. And, you know, if we want to even get more surface level and say, you never know whose voice is going to make it click for that athlete and suddenly their game is on fire and they are at that next level. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Oh, Emily, I just love your passion for athletics. I love your passion for what you do to help the injured athlete. And I think it's such important work and it's, it's such a crucial time in an athlete's journey as well. Athletes are going to get injured. That's what happens. We want to reduce the risk as much as possible, but we all get injured someday. And you would just be such an amazing support for somebody going through that process. Amazing, not just support, like solution as well, right? <laughs> like, you know, it's not just like I'm here for support. It's like, no, like we we can we can fix this. We can, you know, make sure you get back to to doing what you love as fast as possible, as strong as possible. And and that's it's such a, a wonderful service and solution that you're providing. So I love that. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I've had the fortune to witness athletes come out of an injury changed for the better, not just physically in their sport, but mentally and as human beings. And I truly, truly believe in my core that every person has an individual journey and silver lining to that injury. Absolutely. So go check out Emily at injury underscore RD. And can you remind me your website? We'll include it in the show notes. Sure. Website is injuryrd.com. 
too easy. All right, Emily, I end every podcast with the same questions for all of my guests. Are you ready to play along? I'm ready. Let's do it. If you could eat one food every single day for the rest of your life, but never get sick of it, what would it be? Ooh, a poke bowl. Excellent choice. (laughs) DHA, baby. (laughs) What is your favorite sport to participate in yourself? Oh, gosh. This is so tough. I yell at my parents all the time because they put me in sports growing up that didn't translate to adulthood. I did gymnastics. Ah, I did pole vault. And I did ice hockey. And people don't really like do pick up gymnastics in there. You know, I'm 29 now. My body doesn't do that anymore. So I do a lot of like cycling and hiking now. and I really enjoy that. I love it. Cycling, hiking, and, you know, hiking, (laughs) cycling, hiking, and cartwheels in the front yard. That's what I still do to keep my gymnastics game up. Yes. Every now and then I'll kick up into a handstand just to see how we're doing. I actually, so I have this memory, sorry for this tangent, but my mom did gymnastics when she was in high school, although she wouldn't say it was anything competitive. But I remember like when I was a young girl, like, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old, I remember my mom challenging herself, like, can I still do a cartwheel? And she would mm-hmm. go out in the yard and do a cartwheel. And so now here I am as an adult. And like, I've been doing that to myself every few years. I'm like, can I still do a back hamstring back top? Can I still do, <laughs> can I still do a tumble pass? And I would go and I basically every few months would like go out into the yard and just make sure I could still do a round of back hamstring back talk. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, in grad school, I did yeah. adult tumbling where they had like a $10 drop in and you could go on a spring floor. And I threw a full and I was like, oh my God, still got Love it. And that. then I went on the tramp yes. and threw like a double back and I was like, Hoo-hoo. yes, that was a while ago. I don't know if I could still do that, but. Well, yeah. And so what I was going to say is it, it literally hit me the other day because I'm pregnant with baby number two. And obviously this has been a whole journey, baby number mm-hmm. one. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's been years now since I've done that. I've done a few cartwheels, but I haven't <laughs> done a tumbling pass. And I'm like, oh no, are my tumbling days over? Not that it matters. But. <laughs> well, wait until after baby number two comes before you try to throw a back handspring. Oh, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, it, seems very far away right now. But anyways, love the gymnastics background, but yay for hiking right now and cycling. Yes. And then how about then as a spectator, what's your favorite sport to watch and cheer on? You know, it's so interesting. I've gotten to work with so many sports that I myself didn't really watch or participate in. Yeah. And right now with volleyball, oh my gosh, when you see that in person, that is a fast moving game and it is so intense and the way that they all move around each other it's you know and obviously I'm watching it at a really high level but it's really cool I'm really enjoying working with volleyball and watching them practice every day we are so similar Emily (laughs) (laughs) I think part of it too is I'm five foot two so I watch these people you know jump three times my height and I'm just like that'd be so cool to do that yeah yeah, I was never good at vo- I enjoy playing volleyball, but I'm not good at it. Maybe my height has something to do with it too. I don't know, but like I love watching it and I also got my exposure by being a sports dietitian is where I got most of my exposure yeah. to volleyball and I just it's one of my favorite spectator sports. Yeah, it's really fun. Yeah. All right, final question, Emily, is there a female athlete out there whether professional or in your personal life? that you just want to give a shout out to for being a role model and inspiration <laughs> and what I call being fierce, fit, and fueled? Oh, I mean, 
how can I not say Simone Biles and Allie Raisman and all of those gymnasts that have done so much for our sport. So yeah, yeah, I just commend for so many reasons, commend every high level gymnast. Amazing. Yeah. Allie Raisman, Simone Biles, Gabby Douglas. There's so many amazing gymnasts out there and I think all of them representing, you know, the national team and stuff have been awesome. So shout out to them. And thank you so much, Emily. This was an awesome episode. Please go check her out. And if you're an injured athlete, you know, reach out for help. So we'll stay in touch. Yes, please do. Thank you. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you did, if you are a true fan of female athlete nutrition, then I would love if you could support our podcast by spreading the word. Share a review on your listening channel. Give us five stars. It really helps get the word out and get the show more views to positively impact others. Also, you can support the podcast by joining our Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash female athlete nutrition to consider a donation or even better, join our membership where you get extra monthly content and perks. We don't want you to simply listen alone. We want you to be a part of a community and a movement of fierce, fit, and fueled female athletes. So patreon.com slash female athlete nutrition is where you can do exactly that, learn more, and join. A huge thanks to our affiliates and partners as well. Once again, Prevenix, Inside Tracker, Orgain, Practice Better, Jen and Carrie. Please go check them out and their links in the show notes where you can get deals and discounts. Last, be sure that you do more than just listen. If you need help with fueling, it's time to take action. Head to my website to learn more. You can either book a free call with me to learn more about our coaching programs and how we can work directly with you, whether it's the fast track or otherwise. Or you can take our online self-study course, Female Athlete Nutrition. You can literally sign up and gain access right now. You can explore our downloadable products, including the Red S Recovery Guide, High Iron Fueling Guide, Or if you are a coach of a team, check out our brand new coaches toolkit for teams. You can also just learn more. We have a blog, a Red S quiz to see if Red S is affecting you. If you need help, I want you to get help fast. Too many girls and athletes struggle with nutrition, but you don't have to any longer. You can rise up with the power of nutrition, take action today in any of these avenues, and become fierce, fit, and fueled. Links in the show notes, and we'll see you next time.